The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. There's an old preacher's axiom that says that there's a thousand sermons in every text. And that's true of this one too. This morning... What I want to do with you is track Samuel. And I want, to, I want to watch with you as Samuel moves from what we're going to call unlimited sadness and grief to, to an unquenchable and messianic hope. And I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read our lesson, our first lesson from 1 Samuel chapter 16 for this baptism of our Lord Sunday. Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to me, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord.
the truth is that I can hardly recognize Samuel here. Do you recognize him? You, you know the stories about him. He, he's one of those prophets, Samuel, who had one of those Old Testament miraculous births. You remember his mother, Hannah? She went to the temple of the Lord every year and she would get down on her hands and knees and beg God. God, if you would just give me a son, I'll devote him to the Lord. And then there was one particular year where the high priest Eli came across her and he tried to kick her out of the temple because he thought, well, this woman, she must be drunk. And then God filled her with a son. And from the earliest days of his life, he was devoted to the Lord. This is Samuel, a Samuel that we can recognize. And there, there's that song that we sing, Speak, O Lord. It's a song that we got from Samuel, see? He was so precious, so precocious, so, so innocent that when the Lord called him out in the night, he thought, that can't be God speaking to me. It must be Eli. So he would run repeatedly into Eli's room and say, Eli, are you calling to me? And then finally, Eli and Samuel, somehow they figured it out. It's God. And together, they put together their answer. When God calls out to you, Samuel, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's what Samuel did. That's the Samuel that we can recognize. See? You know, Samuel, if you look at him in the Old Testament, you might even say that, that Samuel belonged on the Mount Rushmore of Hebrew prophets. Him and Moses right there together with maybe Isaiah, see? Because he built seminaries and he led Israel for many years. And he did miracles and all kinds of cool stuff. But, but this, this Samuel that we meet here, I can hardly recognize him. Where before maybe he held his head high. Not arrogantly, but in the confidence of the Lord. Now his, his head is bowed low. Like a man who's been beaten down by life. And where maybe before his, his eyes burned with holiness and with passion for the ministry of the Lord, now his eyes were dim and, and lifeless. This is not a Samuel that we can easily recognize, but it is Samuel. What happened to him? It's, it's a little bit like going back to your high school reunion. Have you done that yet? Maybe your 20-year reunion. And you go back and, and you're looking around, right? And you see off in the corner of your eye like the homecoming king who was the, the superstar quarterback on the high school football team. And you see him there and he's different. He's like, he's bald. And he's kind of rotund. And you never say it out loud, but maybe you're thinking it. See, you're thinking it. What happened to him? He's different. 
And we're looking at Samuel here and we're thinking, what happened, Samuel, that you're so prayerless? What happened, Samuel, that you're so hopeless? What ha happened, Samuel, that you're stuck in grieving in Ramah? What happened? And I suppose Samuel would have had it like a rudder you fly. He probably would have said something like, well, well my sons, my sons were, were greedy, rotten guys. And they failed me. It's their fault. And you say, God, the reason why I am like I am with my bowed head and my lifeless eyes is, is because you picked Saul. And Saul is such a faithless king that Israel has no future. I suppose he would have had a ready answer like that, but God has no patience for blaming others. Instead, the Lord confronts him very gently, very lovingly, but he does confront them and he says, Samuel, how long? How long are you just going to sit there and do nothing? How long are you going to not carry out your vocation? How long are you going to just grieve? Is it going to be unlimited and unbounded? Because you've got to understand something about grief. Some grief is godly because we express our loss to God, but grief that is unlimited, grief that is unbounding, unbounded, like Samuel's grief that went on and on and on and on, is nothing less than despair. The poet Emily Dickinson once called despair contented. This is a line from one of her poems. She said, despair, unlimited grief, is contented as the eye upon the forehead of a bust. Contentment. I think Christians sometimes get confused on this point. Like, we think that all contentment is good. But it's not. Contentment that sees all the good things that God has given us is godly, but contentment with our grief Contentment with our despair. Contentment with our sin and our mediocrity is not godly. You know, I, I kind of look out on the world and, and I see this kind of contentment that is actually despair. I look over the yard of, of my neighbor's house in Queens and, and there's weeds growing up between the cracks and the cement is falling into planet Earth and it's just a disaster of a backyard. They haven't touched it in a decade. And that's contentment, see, with wreckage. And, you know, Yankee fans wouldn't get this. But Mets fans would get this. You know, when I go through my Twitter feed and, and I'm reading all the Mets fans' comments about the recent moves by the Mets, and they're saying things like, this is classic Mets, it'll never work out. What is that except contentment with a kind of despair tied on? You know, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, when the clock hit midnight, 
this year, on 2020, and we moved into 2021, didn't feel the same like a normal New Year's, did it to you? You know, normally on, on New Year's, I'm like, so optimistic. Things are going to change. We're going to do better. We're going to do all these different things. But in the back of my head, I had it tucked in. I was like, 2021 is not going to be any different. The pandemic hasn't changed, has it? The divisions in this country haven't changed, have they? And even as we moved into a new year, I could feel that contentedness with mediocrity, with myself, with my circumstances, as if 2021 was already faded. You know what I mean? Like, what's going to happen is going to happen, and I'm just going to sit back and receive it. What is that except contentment with despair? Lord doesn't want that for us. In fact, he's going to lovely confront it, and he's going to say, well, how long are you going to just sit there? You know, Samuel, he, it, I give him credit. He hears the word of the Lord, and it doesn't take him long. He, the Lord says, how long, Samuel, get up and do your job? You know? Go and anoint a new Messiah. Get up. And he does. And, it's, and it doesn't take him long, and, he's, and he arrives in Bethlehem, and, and lo and behold, the people are still tremble at the word of God. And, and Samuel sets up this sacrifice, and they're getting ready to have this big meal afterwards. And Samuel, the first thing he does, look at it, verse 6. We get this self-talk. This is a really important verse where Eliab walks into the room. And Samuel says to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. It's really a poignant moment where Samuel had been stuck in Ramah for so long, contented in his despair, and then the first little bit of hope that he gets, he's like, this is it. it, it it's as if he had moved from one extreme to the other. For a long time, he was stuck in unbounded and unlimited grief. But then all of a sudden, he's at the other extreme, and he's like, look, the solution is easy. One moment, he's totally hopeless, and the next, he's completely hopeful. One moment, there's no salvation for Israel. In the other moment, here's the salvation. And this is really how it goes. Like we ping pong back and forth between despair and, and what I'm going to call wild optimism. This is God's solution, but of course, of course, of course, God doesn't look at things the way that, that we look at things. Because God doesn't look just at skin color as if that really mattered. He looks at the things of the heart. And I think we need to pay attention to that this morning too. Because do you know that people who are stuck in contentedness with despair, those people are easy marks, aren't they? Those people are prey for people who are going to present themselves to you as messiahs, right? 
I mean, this is what snake oil salesmen do. And this is what debt collectors do. And this is what Jehovah Witnesses do. And this is what some politicians do. They say, all you hopeless people, I'm the answer. I'm the Messiah. Just trust in me. And all your problems will be solved. And when your problems are not solved, it's your fault. Or it's the opposition's fault, right? But I'm here to tell you, that people who are good-looking, people who are qualified, people who present themselves as the easy solution to all of your problems are not God's Messiah. And truly, truly, I say to you, because I really want you to get this, Anyone who comes to you with a solution from your problems, with, with messianic hope apart from Jesus, is an absolute liar. Don't be an easy mark and don't be easy prey for false Christs and false messiahs and false hopes. You know, Samuel was, and the Lord had a solution even for, for Samuel's wild optimism. And so his solution, God's solution, was like this male beauty pageant. Like This, this is an unprecedented thing that happens in the Bible where, where Samuel and, and Jesse set up this, this parade of sons and, and it's one son and then it's two sons and then it's three sons and then it's four sons and then it's five sons and lo and behold, Jesse's running out of sons. And each time... A son walks in, Samuel's like, this has got to be it. He's beautiful, he's tall, he's handsome. This has got to be it. And each time the Lord rejects him. And then there's a sixth son and a seventh son. And seven sons is like a complete number. And Samuel, he's like, he's, run, he's falling into despair again. And Samuel says to Jesse, is this all your sons? Jesse says back, well, there is one more. He's the runt. And I didn't even think to bring him along because there's no way he's going to be the Messiah, Samuel. But he's out tending the sheep, and Samuel says, well, bring him in. And then this is this amazing moment that I want to just read to you from Scripture as David walks into the room. The narrator says he was ruddy, with a fine appearance, and handsome features. You know, it's ironic, isn't it? God says, I, I, I don't care about the external appearance. And then, and then David walks in and he's like drop dead gorgeous. Like he's the, he's the Matthew McConaughey of the, the ancient Middle East or, or the Brad Pitt or, you know, I don't even know who the beautiful men in the world are anymore. If I ever did. But this is a man after God's own heart. And standing right in front of Samuel was God's Messiah. And he anoints him and the Spirit comes on him. And there's hope in the world. There's a Messiah in the world. 
And I imagine Samuel was different then. Like he, he was holding his head high, not in arrogance, but in confidence. And his life, his lifeless eyes now began to burn with passion and holiness for the world and for his ministry because, because he knew that God's Messiah was in the world and he hadn't even seen Jesus yet. Can you imagine, just for a moment, can you imagine what it must have been like to stand on the banks of the River Jordan with John the Baptist and see God mark out His Messiah? There He is! The heavens torn open! As if to say, God has opened heaven for you through His Messiah. And, and there He is. Now, now, the Spirit came on David in a private sort of way, but on God's Messiah, on Jesus, in bodily form. There He is. God's own voice shouts down on heaven, This is my Son! You see him. And then to see God's Son stretched out on a cross, crucified, and then to see him walk out of the tomb victorious. Is there messianic hope in the world? Can you go back to Rama like Samuel did, holding your head high, confident that God's Messiah rules and His kingdom truly is coming? Yes, we can. That's right. The story ends in the best kind of way. And it really ends kind of like every single Sunday here. Samuel sees God's Messiah. He sees the Christ. And he goes home. He just goes home. He's no longer stuck in his unbounded despair and grief. And he's no longer going to be carried away by false messiahs. Now he's grounded because he knows that, that David, and his kingdom is coming. That's how the story ends for us today too. We, we go home. But we're no longer stuck in despair and hopeless. And we're no longer gra- grabbing onto false solutions as they come along. But, but we're hopeful in David's greater son, Jesus that His kingdom is coming. Amen.